Good morning, Christ Church. Thank you for being with us. Let me say a prayer for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Thank you that you are a God who makes a way when there is no way. Thank you that you are a God who calls us by name to follow you. I pray that you would be at work in our hearts, in our church, in our communities today, that we might say yes to this grand adventure of following you. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. The world, if you haven't noticed, is constantly changing. What was popular at one time is no longer popular today. What was on trend is no longer on trend today. What was fashionable in one period gets laughed at today. Things are constantly moving around and changing. Culture is changing. Technology changes. Leaders change. Trends change. Language changes. If you try to say something and your kids will remind you, that's not how kids say it these days. The world our kids are growing up in looks different than the world that we grew up in. Their kids' world will look different for them than it did when they were growing up. When things are constantly shifting and changing around us, the question becomes, how do we decide who we are in the midst of these changes? How do we decide who we become in this constantly changing world? It's interesting because as you study throughout history, so many things have changed over thousands and thousands of years. The world Christ grew up in 2,000 years ago looks radically different than it does today. When Christ was born, there was a king, and his name was Herod, and he wielded his power ruthlessly. He became king at a young age, and he ruled for about 40 years. He was considered an effective ruler at the time, and some people called him great, Herod the Great. He was ruthless, though. When you displeased him or disagreed with him, he had you executed. He had his mother-in-law, two brothers-in-law, two sons, and a favorite wife murdered. People who protested his treatment were arrested and killed. That's how you ruled. And what happened was you pretty much ruled until somebody else displaced you or you died. Five days before his death, he had another one of his sons executed, and he made a provision in his will that at the time of his death, prominent Israelites would be executed so that there would be weeping and mourning in Israel. This is the world that Christ was born into, marked by violence and oppression. And what Christ did when he was born and when he lived and what he came to do changed everything. It challenged what people knew about leadership and how we treat one another. And Christ led and spoke of compassion and forgiveness and taking care of others and brought in ideas like humility that was never before known as a noble characteristic trait or value. He, he turned upside down what leadership and power and authority looked like and called those who would be first to be last. Christ was born in humble circumstances. He died a criminal's death, and yet the effect that Christ has had on the world over these last 2,000 years is greater than e any leader before him or after him. Christ changed everything. 
And when he died and rose again and went back up into heaven, he left his followers, his disciples, his friends with a promise. They would be empowered by the Holy Spirit and they would be witnesses to all the things they'd seen happening and all the things they'd learned from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. This was as far as the, as the people at the time could even think of reaching. And in the book of Acts, we have this incredible first look into the history of how the New Testament church grew, what Jesus's friends did when he went back to heaven, what Jesus's friends did in this constantly changing world when things were shifting and power in Jerusalem was changing and Roman power was changing and shifting. And what did the followers of Christ do? What happened next? And it's interesting because in Acts chapter 2, we get a really cool look into Christ has gone back to heaven. He's left his friends with his followers with this call of who to be and what to do. And then in Acts chapters 2, we see they're all together and it's on the day of Pentecost and there's about 120 followers of Jesus and they're all there in Jerusalem together. Now, in Jerusalem, there's annual festivals, and it would bring people from all over different communities together, and uh, Pentecost was one of them. It was called the Feast of Week, and it occurred on the 50th day after the Sabbath of the Passover week. And it was a festival of thanksgiving for the harvested crops, and people from uh, Jewish descent from all nations would come to Jerusalem, and they'd celebrate this festival together. And while they're there, this incredible moment happens. This moment comes when the disciples and the followers of Christ are empowered by the Holy Spirit and they start talking about the mighty works of God. And even though there's all different people there in different nations and different languages, they speak and communicate in a way that people understand. They stood in the midst of thousands and thousands of people from all over. And it was a moment absolutely powered by the Holy Spirit. It was so powerful that people there noticed what's going on. It was hard to miss. You couldn't ignore it. And they were amazed and perplexed by what they were seeing. And they were like, who are these people? They, don't, they, they shouldn't be able to talk this way or speak this way. Who are they? And some people are trying to figure out who they are and what this could mean. Other people think it's a joke. They're just drunk people babbling and they laugh them off. And it's so interesting because in this moment steps Peter. And we've seen all of this history in the life of Peter and Christ calling him. And there's something so presumptuous about Peter. And he always is the first one to like speak and say this. And at moments, Christ is like, yes. And at other moments, he's like, Peter, no. And Peter's had all these ups and downs in following Jesus Christ. But this is the Peter who has seen the resurrected Christ. He's no longer scattered and disillusioned. He, he's no longer hiding and afraid for his life, denying that he knows Christ. He has seen the risen Christ. He's heard his words and his promises, and he steps into this moment empowered by the Holy Spirit and speaks in the kind of way that people listen. And he calls to all the people who are there, the people of Israel that have come to this place. And he's like, these people aren't drunk. They're fulfilling what the prophet Joel spoke about all those years ago. What Joel said would happen is happening. And this is a group, right? They've come to Jerusalem to celebrate the festivals. They know their traditions. They know the prophets. And they've been awaiting what the prophets said would come true. And Peter, in Acts chapter 2, quotes the prophet Joel. 
In verse 17, he says, In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Peter's saying, look, the prophet Joel talked about this, and this is what's happening right now. Christ has come, and everything has changed. And I love one author talks about this in the kind of way that puts it in perspective for us. He says, all the people in the ancient world had gods. Their gods had different names, but what they shared was a hierarchical way of doing life. At the top of creation were the gods. Under them was the king. Under the king were members of the court and the priests who reported to the king. Below them were artisans, merchants, craftspeople. Below them was the large group of peasants, slaves, the dregs of humanity. And he calls this the dignity gap. The farther down the ladder you were, the wider the gap. And culturally, that's changed. And who's at the top and who's at the bottom and who's allowed position and who's not. But the gap was challenged by an idea that there is one God and he is good. And every human being was made in his image. Every being has royal dignity. When Christ looked at people, he saw the humanity, the image of God in everyone, and he treated people with dignity. Peter says, look, what prophet Joel said was going to happen is happening right now. Christ looks at you and I, and it's not about the dignity gap. It's not about the hierarchy. It's not about the scale. It's not about what you can do for him. It's what he's already done for us. Christ looks at us with love and grace and calls out what's best in us. And what Christ has come and done has changed everything. It's not about hierarchy. It's not about being man, woman, slave, free, nationality, race, economic standing. The Spirit of God is for all humanity. God is for you. And then look at what Peter says. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord, not just one kind of people, not just one kind of nation, but all who call, not just those who are in power, not those who are at the high end of the scale or authority, not those who have a higher position on the ladder, but anybody who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Not just what place you fall into, Christ is for all. The Spirit of God, it's not hidden behind a curtain that only a select few people can have access to. The Spirit of God is going to be poured out on all who believe, all who call on the name of of God. Peter says that thing, this world that Joel promised has come to pass. This is what's going on. This is who Jesus is. He came into the world. He was attested to you by God with mighty works and mighty deeds and wonders and signs. God did this all in your midst. Peter's saying, look, this didn't happen in a shadowy corner. People saw what was going on. People saw what was happening. And the same Jesus who was crucified and killed, God raised him from the dead. God has had a plan from the beginning. God raised him up. It was not possible for death to hold him. Says this Jesus that God raised from the dead, we're witnesses to that. God exalted him. He made him Lord in Christ. He may have been crucified. He may have died on the cross, but he is now alive. And when Peter's talking, it's roughly about two months since Christ was crucified and raised from the dead. 
And all this had played out. It's, everybody is there. Anybody wanting to challenge Peter could be like, let's just go to the tomb and we can find the body. But the tomb was empty for anybody to see. And the people who are there listening that day, it says they were cut to the heart by these powerful words of Peter. And they look at Peter and the apostles who are there and they say, well, what, are, what do we do? What do we do next? And Peter says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God would call. He says, this is the moment where you say yes to Jesus, that you hear Christ is for you. He's for your family. He's for your kids. It doesn't matter how far off or how near you've been. Christ is actively for you. And then he says, listen, this is what um, Acts tells us. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to that day. Look at what God's doing. Christ empowered those who followed him. The Holy Spirit filled them with courage. Peter spoke of Christ in the kind of way that people said, yes, I hear you. I see Christ. I want to know him. I want to follow him. And 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ and were baptized. Now that's a service I want to be at. That's a fun day that I want to be part of celebrating. The church grew. The church was blessed. God was active and moving, and hearts were changed, and lives were saved. Please hear me. It is the incredible work of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to stand up and say yes to Jesus Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that calls us and convicts us and challenges us and changes our hearts. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that guides us and directs us and gives us faith and courage. It's the Holy Spirit that works in us through truth and wisdom and freedom and righteousness and peace and unity. And it is the same Spirit at work today who did that powerful work all those years ago. It's the same Spirit at work today changing hearts and building and growing the church. It's the same Spirit at work in you and in me growing us, calling us to live lives not just for our own selves, but for Jesus Christ. It is Christ who builds the church, and it is his spirit at work in us today. This was an incredible moment where Christ called and people said yes, and they celebrated with baptism. They celebrated this incredible confession of faith in Jesus Christ, and baptisms are celebrations of this commitment of faith to Jesus Christ. We're doing a baptism next week. We're going to do it outside at Wallace Lake, and we're going to celebrate every single person who's heard God call them by name and said, yes, I'm in. I want to be your guy. I want to be your girl. I want to follow you. If you haven't been baptized yet and you'd like to be, there's no better time to say yes. There's no better time to celebrate this together. We'd love to help get you connected so that we can celebrate together. And then I love what happens next. So all these people are like, yes, I'm in. There's baptisms, there's celebration going on. This group of men and women, they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Hearts are changing. And look at what the author, of, look at what Acts says. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Like this powerful community that's happening. All of these people said, yes, the church just skyrocketed with growth. And then they got together and did life together. They loved Christ and it drove them to take care of each other and pray together and made sure that the needs in their community were being met. They ate together and did life together and found ways to be generous together. They learned more about God and who he is together and God blessed them. People were so interested in what's going on. You have this crazy world dynamic going on, and in the midst of it is this community of people changed by Christ, and people noticed it, not because they were out screaming and yelling and shouting and fighting. They were so busy loving Christ and being driven by him and doing life together that the world took notice. They had said yes to doing life with Christ, and it created this powerful community among them. What united them was Christ. In all the midst of all these crazy things going on and all these different nationalities and men and women and all these groups coming together where never before they'd been together, people took notice because Christ was at work among them. They were working at doing life together, overcoming challenges together, learning and growing all they could about Christ. And it was the church, this new community. They spent time in prayer and generosity, and there was this unity among them because of what Christ was at work doing. Now, I want us to remember this because it's so important. We hear moments like this and we're like, yes, that's awesome. It's so cool to hear about the history and how the church, what God's been doing and thousands of years ago. But we can't miss that that's the same God who is at work in us today. The same God who saved thousands of people when Peter stood up and preached the good word about Christ is capable of saving thousands of people today. The same call of Christ is ours, that we be his witnesses in the world, that we talk about how good he is, his grace, his love, his mercy, his compassion, that we say, this is how God's been at work in my life. This is what I've seen him do. We say where everybody else is saying trashy things about this, we just say something good about God, his awesome works, who he is and what he can do. That's the call of the church. And when the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit, people are connecting to Jesus Christ. And as we connect to Christ, we learn together and grow together and encourage each other and serve together and pray together. We take the idea of generosity so seriously that we say, where can we help? There's needs. How can we stand in the gaps together? Look, when the world is changing, Christ remains true. When everything around us is shifting and taking different forms, Christ remains faithful. He's our anchor. He's who we look to again and again to define who are we going to become in the world that we live in today. And I want to give us five ideas to help us. Rick Warren talks about this in his uh, Purpose Driven Church. How do we do that? He said there's five things that we can do. The first one 
is God wants me to be a member of his family. We're meant to live in relationship with each other. God has given us the church, the community, as a spiritual family that we can learn and grow and do life together. We're called to belong, not just to believe. But God also wants us to be a model of his character, wants every believer to grow up to become more like Christ in our character, more like Christ in our thoughts and our feelings and our actions. This isn't measured by just learning, but choices, life choices. How much room am I giving Christ in my life to tell me who to be and who I'm going to become? And he says God wants us to be ministers of his grace. The church is God's good idea for sharing grace in the world. We exist to share the grace of God. Through service, we just get to show up and say, God cares about you. Through being active in our community, we just get to be examples of the grace of God again and again and again. He also says God wants us to be messengers of his love. We get to be the people, not because we're arguing people to submission or fighting with everybody, but just in how we organize our life. We get to say good things about God and who he is and why we love Christ. When people say, why do you go to church on Sunday morning? Why do you do this? We just get to say who God is, how wonderful he is, and share his love again and again and again. When's the last time you just told somebody something awesome about God? When's the last time you just said, hey, this church is a great place to be. You should come sit with me one week and see what might happen. That's how we get to be those kind of people. But he says God also wants us to be a magnifier of his name. When we express love for God, we're worshiping. We love God with our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. And I love it because what happens is we worship what we think is most important. And if we aren't spending our time and attention worshiping God, something up else takes up space in our life to worship. And it's all kinds of things. They're not even always bad things. But when God comes first, it helps us be good in all of the other things. So I love this. We have five ideas about building community and serving and growing and worshiping and sharing grace and talking about God together. Five ideas for us to practice, to work on in our own life. What if we picked one or two that we just said, I'm going to work on this this week. I'm going to put some time into my life to think more about this. I want to know God better. I want to spend time magnifying his name. I want to serve. I want to find ways to help fill in the gaps in the community in our different ways that we can help. What if we just picked any of these five to work on to help us be more connected to Christ and who he's called us to be? We are at our best when it is the direction of Christ guiding us. The church is at its best when we are all living out the call of Jesus Christ together. We have the week of prayer coming up this week. It's something our church has been doing for 40 years. And we get together, all of our campuses, all of our locations at different times, and we're just going to get together and call on the name of the Lord together. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to pray with each other. We're going to pray for the church. We're going to pray that God would move in awesome ways. What if you joined us? What if you made time in your schedule? We're going to be here in Old Brooklyn every night at 7 p.m., Monday through Friday. What if you just made a goal to join us this week and we prayed together? We got together and talked together and learned together and called on God together. Friends, we are better together. 
We weren't created to do this life alone. God gave us this great gift of one another to help and encourage each other along the way. And here's the truth. The right relationships help us grow in our character. They help us sharpen all the dull edges that life puts in, and we grow in our faith and our hearts and our character. They challenge us to see life different and work on clarifying our minds and our thinking. God gave us relationships that we might learn how to connect to each other in healthy and right ways that we might learn and grow and stretch. That's what community does. We learn about God and ourselves by interacting with one another. We learn how to do life together in the kind of way that challenges us and helps us and encourages us. Sometimes we learn courage and strength by seeing what other people are capable of. Sometimes we learn humility by understanding another person's perspective. Sometimes we just need the loving reminder that there are people who've been through this before, and if they got through it, so then can we. Sometimes we just get to see the faith of somebody else, and it strengthens our own faith. Sometimes we just get to have people who encourage us to keep on fighting this good fight of faith. God gave us this awesome community to be together, to do life together, to grow in the kind of way that we get to know ourselves and God better again and again and again. God gave us people to help encourage us and strengthen us to do this life well. In 1992, it was the um, Olympics it was in Barcelona, and Derek Redmond was running for Great Britain in the 400-meter dash. He was, everybody thought he was going to be the gold winner for the race, and he's in there, he's plowing through, and somewhere about the 175th meter, his hamstring popped. And you can see there's videos of this. He goes down, he gets hurt, but then he pops back up, and he starts just hopping his way to the finish line. It's the Olympics. Hamstring popped or not, he's getting to that finish line. You can see how much pain he's in. He's struggling. But here's what makes it so incredible. His dad is on the sidelines, and his dad sees him go down. His dad sees him gets up. His dad sees him hopping his way to get to the finish line. So his dad pushes past all of the people out on the track, past security, and he goes out. He puts his arm around his son, and he help walks him to the finish line. Now all these officials are like, you can't be on the track, and they're trying to get him off, and they're trying to get him to leave, and he just shoos him away. And you can actually see him saying, like, this is my son, leave me alone. And he literally walks his son to the finish line. He knows how much his son has put in to get there. He knows how much work, how much practice, how much effort goes in to performing at the Olympic level, and he's going to help his kid get to the end. Friends, we're all trying to race, run this race of life. We want to finish well. Some of us are sprinting. Some of us are limping. The hamstring popped and we're hopping, hobbled, trying to get through one more lap. But do you know that you have a Father in heaven and he wants to help see you through? He loves you. He wants you to finish well. He's already given everything that you need to run this race to get to the end. And friends, when we feel like we can't make it, he is there to help us through. Would you trust in him? The same God who was capable of a mighty work in the church 2,000 years ago is still capable of that mighty work today. He is not done 
yet. Let him put his loving arm around you and help you get to where he's called you to be. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would remind us how awesome, how wonderful, how good it is to know you. I pray that you would stir up in us something new and fresh and that we would trust you like we've never trusted you before. I pray, Father, that your spirit would be active and at work in us, in this church, and in our community, and I pray that lives would be saved. I pray that you would help us to call on your name again and again and again, and that the church would grow and the church would be blessed because of who you are and what you've done. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.